Go back into South Bend's history. 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, and what do you see? You see groups of people working to bring change to this city. They had different ideas of what that change should be. They didn't always agree. Yet, in every decade, there were groups of people for whom positive change was their life's work. This podcast, South Bend's Own Words, features the voices of people who helped make the city change. We'll share clips from the oral histories done by the Indiana University South Bend Civil Rights Heritage Center that tell a more complete history of the city. It's the story of many cultures, not just one. It's the story of South Bend. In 1970, Ricardo Parra attended a Mexican-American conference held at the University of Notre Dame. He stayed in South Bend to help organize and direct a new Midwest chapter of the National Council of La Raza, a progressive Chicano political advocacy group. Over the following decades, both Ricardo and his wife, Olga Villa, became integrally involved in South Bend's growing Latinx community. They allied themselves with almost every local organization, like La Raza, El Campito Children's Center, the former El Centro Migrant Advocacy Center, and of course, La Casa de Amistad. Olga was a strong leader, had a love for life, and deeply supported those who worked with her. In 2014, Olga passed away at the age of 71. Four years later, in 2018, I sat down with Ricardo, along with Valeria Chamorro from the Civil Rights Heritage Center. We talked about Ricardo's arrival at Notre Dame, his life with Olga, and how the local Latinx community has grown and changed over the past 50 years. Uh, my name is Ricardo Parra. So we want people to understand a bit about your life history and your life story. So can you start just by telling us uh, when you were born and where? Well, I was born in uh, 1946. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Kansas, Missouri. Later on, I, I ended up coming to Notre Dame, South Bend, and did some work here in this area. So most of my adult life was probably spent in, in Indiana and in the Midwest. Yeah. Where did you go to high school? I went to uh, several high schools. I was a bad student. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but my dad was persistent. He says, go to that one, go to that. You, they, you know, okay, no, you're going to go to that one then. You're but you're not quitting, you know. Was there any education beyond high school, too? I should say formal education. Formal education, yes. yeah. Of course, there's education beyond high school. Yeah, well, I, I graduated, got my BA from uh, uh, Northeastern Illinois, and then later on, I, I, well, I also took classes at Notre Dame while I was there. So, well, you know, I'm here, but, you know, I wasn't, you know, you know, uh, you know, a full-fledged uh, student. You know, a part-time student and this type of thing. And and then I uh, I took advantage of uh, I IUSB and uh, had classes at IUSB. Plus, uh, and so the, the you know and the, the graduate studies. I had some graduate studies like in economics and other things like that. When did you come to South Bend? Uh, 1970. I attended a conference. It was the American Conference held at Notre Dame. And it was uh, sponsored by the Institute for Urban Studies, mm-hmm. and it had to do with the idea of you know organizing a, uh, a an organization known as the Midwest Council of La Raza, mm-hmm. and I was fortunate to uh, be part of that, be part of their board, and later on I became part of the staff. 
So you were in your, what was that? I'm trying to do the math. That was your late 20s when you came here to, uh, to, to Notre Dame? I think maybe like 24, 24, 24 25. Yeah. So when you first arrived here, tell us about what was South Bend like um, and what was it like to you? Well, I uh, got to know the Notre Dame community and then the South Bend community. and uh, We did some projects here uh, in, uh, in, the, in the South uh, Bend community with the uh, Midwest Council of Asa. We had a migrant resettlement program. We had other resettlement programs in, in other states, in Minnesota, in Wisconsin, and in Illinois. And uh, those were... Uh, uh, transition centers to aid in the uh, farm worker community settling out. And uh, we had some settlement projects here, uh, working with Ivy Tech and some of the other uh, institutions here. And then some other homegrown institutions like uh, El Campito Daycare Center and, and other projects here. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're working along with the South Bend Community School Corporation. Mm-hmm. So roughly, when did you get involved with El Campito? Well, yeah, that was early. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think it would be like 1971. You know, just uh, that was uh, the whole need for the migrant resettlement program you know, for people that were in the program. We needed a place for them uh, to be able to put their children, and so that's how we, how we started. And it's still still running today. So that's uh, that's wonderful. You know, the, I think they're. I think it's been here for over 40 years. <laughs> Were you involved with uh, La Casa de Amistad as well? R- right. You know, I was involved with that. Uh, at first it was like a youth organization. Uh, my compadre Benito Salazar was very involved with that. Another one of those organizations, uh, LULAC. Well, yeah, we worked with the LULAC and uh, folks like that. And, and so that was good. You know, so. You just try to collaborate with rather, rather than compete. You know, they're doing something that that you know matches up, and we can help out. You know, I want to talk about uh, Olga uh, as well later because you said you worked with her, and then of course uh, you two became married. I remember Olga that uh, always a happy person, and uh, was a good encourager of people you know, to go beyond what they thought they could go and do more than what they thought they could do. And she could work with, she had the, uh, the skills of a, she had a very broad vision and uh, knew a lot of things. And, could, and she worked well with people and could get people that don't agree to work with each other. And so I think that was the skill. She had these people skills that they, you don't find in too many, uh, too many people. So she could here. read people and... Uh, and I guess the other thing is that she was a real lover of people. She loved people. I mean, she really genuinely loved people, even those that might even oppose her. She, she had a very good sense about things and she was a, a very strong spiritual uh, vision that she had that, you know, that kept her going. She, uh, and, yeah, she was, you know, she loved people, I could say that, and she was happy. And she tried, and we were the good encourager. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was on that. Yeah. Of course, uh, you two became married. Later on, we got married, yes. <laughs> you were married for how long again? Uh, and you know, was, uh, maybe like maybe 37 years. Uh, sure. Uh, but, you know, 
Uh, I knew her for more than 40 years. Sure. Yeah. She became your partner in many my, things, my life in, in life and yeah. work, I'm sure. Life and work, yeah. My compañera. <laughs> <laughs> so your hub is here, both on the campus of Notre Dame and in the community, and working across right. so many, we, you know, cities, many A lot of people would say, well, you know, uh, how can you do all, all of this? Well, you know, we cannot ignore the community. We, we are here, and <clears> we're part of it, and if we're... Uh, doing stuff in other places, you know, it, it just doesn't seem right, you know, to to ignore the community. And I, and everybody was like-minded about that uh, on the staff. So yeah, you know, we don't, we don't, uh, you know, like, you know, some institutions, uh, you know, uh, they may have like national, and uh, they they're not involved in community. We felt strong about it that we need to, you know, that, and uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, we felt that it was important to to be here and be present. Mm -hmm. Yep. How many, uh, roughly, how many staff members did they have? We, it varied. We, at, at some points, we would have uh, uh, up to 20, 30, 40 staff members. And, and so um, at that point, of course, Midwest Council was relatively young here, right? <clears throat> relatively new. Um, but And forming in response to a growing uh, Latinx, a growing Hispanic community mm -hmm. uh, here, uh, not just in South Bend, but in the Midwest, right? Right. Now, at this time, um, our uh, Latinx community comes from the migrant farm track, right? Yes. Uh, particularly from Mexico through Texas and then up into various places mm -hmm. in the Midwest. South Texas, yep. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people settled out there. Were I would love to just hear South you Texas. talk about your experience, your knowledge of that migrant, that migrant farm track. You know, in Michigan and in Indiana, there was a lot of uh, uh, people from uh, uh, the South Texas area that were beginning to settle out, and uh, and some had settled out uh, uh, in a more recent time. Others had had uh, settled out uh, many many years ago. So, uh, for example, in uh, Detroit, there was uh, there was a large uh, Mexican community in Detroit that was there because of uh, the auto industry and also uh, uh, steel and so forth. Same thing, in, uh, and that's an earlier uh, community. Later on, the uh, more of a farm worker community started settling out. Yeah, and uh, it's, we work with all all those communities and kept you know, and so that was uh, a good collaboration to be able to work together. And we also worked uh, in areas like Cleveland and uh, Toledo. And in Cleveland, it's more of a, <clears throat> a Puerto Rican community, and, uh, and in uh, Toledo, it's you know Mexican community, South Texas community uh, that settled out there. Can you speak to why choosing South Bend as the hub, as opposed to say Chicago, as opposed to Elkhart, as opposed to any other? I mean, of all the cities in the Midwest. Why was it that South Bend uh, became the, the 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 home for the West Council of Larasa? Well, the formation was Notre Dame, but they were helpful. They were helpful, and, and uh, you know the students, the professors, uh, some of the resources there, uh, you know, uh, blended well, and, and we work well. And, uh, and even the accounting office. In some communities, you see a lot of you know competition and upsmanship and stuff like that. That's not. I didn't get that feeling here. I felt that there was a, a, 
well-grounded uh, sense of uh, community here. Why do you think that is? I think uh, maybe it's a smaller town, uh, maybe it's smaller, and maybe it's growing up together. And I think uh, people learn from each other when they, when they go through struggles together. And I think that's, uh, that's being key. And sometimes that doesn't happen in, in you know, congested urban areas where there's, you know, uh, you know, it becomes more of a competitive situation. As, you know, maybe I'm too idealistic about it, but you know, I think that that's that's a good thing. I think you know, people can collaborate, work together. You know, spending all those years on Notre Dame's campus working with you're this radical progressive activist in a uh, progressive organization, but fitting into a campus that doesn't necessarily have a reputation of being progressive or radical, right? Well, I think forward. if uh, you're right, I think there are some uh, tendencies that 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 uh, that happen when. You have organizations that where organizations become self-serving and selfish, and so they got to look at cause. What is the cause that we have that created the organization? Are we still serving that cause? People have conferences and they have workshops to figure out and their mission statement and, and stuff like this. And they have to do that regularly because they, you know bureaucracies do that. They become self-serving, and the whole government does that. Politicians do that, uh, and so uh, on that view, if the vehicle no longer serves its original purpose, what well, you need a new vehicle, it, or it, it doesn't work. Like for Notre Dame, like if you have like uh, as we're nonprofit, uh, but we're corporate, and, and you see that happening in uh, Catholic hospitals and other things that become big, and you know, some important. And so how they, they, they begin to lose that uh, value about what they were originally in, intended for. Like, for example, if uh, Father John Jenkins comes out with support the dreamers, <laughs> and then you look at, you look at some of the, I, I, I guess it must be some of the alumni comments as well, you know, my kid couldn't get in, and how come them, and this type of thing, and, and don't want to let them in. This is, that's, a, that's a whole story of immigration. The old immigrants kind of forget and don't want to include the newer ones. They say, well, no, no, no. They, they should do it the legal way. They should do this, they should do that. There is no legal way. And so, uh, so yeah, that's kind of, and in, 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 in uh, I guess in, in, in some places when it's a, it's a new voice and the older order looks at the new voice and doesn't understand it. Here, like it could be like in the Polish community, like, well, all of a sudden, there's this new people that are coming in, but there's other 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 groups now, and uh, younger groups are the the dreamers, other folks that are doing things, and so people are going to do stuff. You know, so no, just be supportive of uh, of new people and the new voices because that's where the energy is at. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I think that and I think that's where it's going to go, mm -hmm. it, uh, because the uh, you're finding that the younger the younger generation is the much, much more progressive uh, than the old, and the older generation, I better be, you know, there people die, you know, and, and so it's the younger voices that are, are key into the whole process of change. So, you know, that's, that's nature. <laughs> that's how plants grow and they get replaced. <laughs> South Bend's Own Words was created by Kevin Tidmarsh and me, 
George Garner. This episode was produced by Donald Britton from the Ernestine M. Rackland School of the Arts at IU South Bend and by me through the Civil Rights Heritage Center. Visit us and learn how IU South Bend students inspired the transformation of a once segregated South Bend swimming pool. We give guided tours and offer public events that show how the history of oppression echoes through the city today. See and hear more history, plan your visit, or share your thoughts about this episode, all at crhc.iusb.edu.